Hello, this is Leaving Erinsborough, the Neighbours Rewatch podcast from the very beginning. I'm Sarah Gibbs. I'm a comedy writer, author of Drama Queen, One Autistic Woman and a Life of Unhelpful Labels and Neighbours Obsessive. And I'm Rachel Krieger. I'm a stand-up comedian and writer and lifelong Neighbours fan. Very excited to be joining Sarah on our little journey. Yay! So for anyone who missed it last time, Rachel is now a regular co-host, which means that most episodes she'll be right here with me and you will get to hear her wonderful and exciting and very funny opinions. Um, And um, yeah, I'm very, very excited to get going. Before we get going, just some quick housekeeping, as always. A quick reminder that we are now slowing down the pace, so we're covering a fortnight at a time. So today's episode covers episodes 121 to 130, so that gives you a little more time to catch up, uh, plenty of time over Christmas to catch up with all the episodes if you haven't had time to sit down and watch them yet. All the usual content warnings apply. This is a sweary podcast. This podcast addresses adult themes and some themes that listeners may find upsetting. So please do listen with caution and make sure there are no little ears hanging around ready to repeat anything that they might hear. I'm looking at you, Shane Ramsey. And finally, please do join our Facebook community. Uh, You can search for Leaving Erinsborough on Facebook. It's a private group and you just have to agree to the group rules. We get a lot of people trying to join who haven't agreed to the group rules and it feels really awful sending people away. Um, If you've just forgotten, then try again. Um, But yeah, please do click I agree so that I know that you're cool and we're all cool. We're still on Twitter for now, at Leaving Errands, because of the character limit, and we post about new episodes there. All right, on with the show. We do have a guest today as well. Um, He was very difficult to book. uh, So (laughs) please um, know how lucky we were to get him. Um, I had to search far and wide um, all over the house. He is my husband, uh, the wonderful editor of this podcast. So um, if you hear a lot of him and not very much of us, that is why. Um, (laughs) My very own John Gibbs. Hello. Um, I hate the sound of my own voice, so it's likely going to go the other way. (laughs) <laughs> we this, all this, do. this should be fun i mean not yeah. your voice our own voices it's <laughs> one of the hardest we all hate your voice john <laughs> honestly when when i started in comedy and everyone said the most important thing is you have to record yourself and listen back to the set and then you'll know what bits are working and which you have to change and whatever and getting used to that was harder than virtually anything i've ever done in my life just listening to your own voice in your headphones is awful it is. It's horrible. Um, it, it's worse when you're singing because you're like, you're like, ah, oh, I'm quite a good singer. Mm-hmm. I, this, it sounds great in the shower, and then you hear yourself back on uh, on mics that pick up every little nuance in your, of your voice. You're like, oh, okay, <laughs> I am not Beyonce. Um, so um, another another little thing, in case you missed it last time, is that we are slowing down the pace of this podcast because um, I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> and round round the clock neighbors is wonderful, but I also have a job. Um, apparently that I have to do which is unfortunate but um, so I, I can't let this take over my whole life um, so we're going to go down to a fortnight at a time fortnightly which uh, which is pretty much real time um, so um, we're not going to get to the changeover as fast as we would have liked but it's a very exciting week 
in Erinsborough. So I think it was a good moment to slow it down because a lot happened and uh, we want to get through all of that. Yeah, and I have to say, I started watching from the beginning um, when it came to its tragic end and I'd got quite far ahead of where we're talking about today. And even Mm. now, going back and revisiting those um, couple of weeks has been quite an intriguing process, like looking at it with my future sensitive eyes and ears. Um, I have got an entire page of notes here, Sarah, I'm just warning you now. (laughs) And John, for that matter, as you're also there. Um, I've got an entire page of notes and all I can hear is my father's voice saying, I don't understand why you didn't work like this for your GCSEs or (laughs) A-levels. Oh, what could life have been if we'd applied ourselves Absolutely. to the things we're actually interested in? And I just didn't care um, enough about them. Whereas this, you know, it's life or death, isn't it? it well, it it was this week um, for, for sure. So, so John, um, you you are sort of, I guess, a neighbours fan by osmosis. Yeah, um, is that fair? I mean, I've I've lived in this country for twenty, nearly twenty one years. And before I moved here full time, I lived here, I went to school here for a few years. So I was always aware of Neighbors as a thing. Never really watched it unless it, you know, it happened to be on the TV or, you know, flipping through the the, the four channels when I first lived here. Um, wow, it's like ancient showing your times. Age. Yeah, yeah. Channel 5, I, I can't remember when Channel 5 went live, but I was, I know I was here. I was at UK adjacent, certainly, when that when that happened. It was, and it was very exciting. Um but yeah, I I knew about it. Obviously, you know Kylie and Jason, and that was a that was a thing even before I, you know, moved here and stuff like that. And yeah, so I guess yeah. And then and you know, sorry, I kind of came to it through through you watching it, and then I kind of I kind of got got hooked. But if we kind of if we rewind a little bit, when I was growing up, there were quite a few Australian families where I lived, um, and kind of I didn't necessarily hear about neighbors but neighbors stars specifically you know kylie jason these sorts of people right you were one would hear their names from australians sort of thing um Mm -hmm. so yeah that's my and then yeah since you know since sarah and i started watching it since i started watching it seriously with sarah i guess um yeah i got uh i got hooked and i would i would bore my co-workers to absolute death at work with latest neighbors storylines the transformation is complete. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so obviously, older neighbours is quite a different experience. So I think um, what we'll probably do is just dive right in um, because it's been a big week in Erinsborough. So what I thought we could do is um, start start with um, how we usually do things with the three sort of households and then everything funnels down to one big event in the last sort of three episodes. So we'll we'll then just go chronologically when we get to that. But starting with Daphne, Des, and Shane, and uh, and Eileen. How can we forget Eileen? Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we start this fortnight with Des and Daphne, who are delighted to be living together again. I don't know how you guys felt about this. I loved how their sheer joy at being reunited. It was so cute. It is cute. The friend, I think when you see a good friendship, it is so heartwarming. And theirs is very, very, very touching, even though um, we sense that perhaps they're feelings about each other are slightly different but Daphne is a sort of warm open friendly person so when whatever she feels I I think we feel Mm. yeah she's 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 kind of the access point for the viewer you're you're totally right um 
I, yeah, because there are a lot of characters who are kind of inaccessible. Um, of course, Daphne immediately starts picking up after Des. So uh, we have some traditional gender roles. It is the 80s. I just want to say up top here a couple of things, um, because I have been doing that thing you shouldn't do and reading what people say about this show. And it's mostly very nice. Um, but there are a couple of minor criticisms. The first is that we are not being very fair um, by looking at this through the lens of um, 2022. Um, and I say that is the only lens that I have. And uh, if I were to agree with all the opinions of the 1980s, that would probably not be a very enjoyable listen. And I don't think you think I was a very nice person. So I'm going to carry on looking at it through this lens with the caveat that I do understand that it was made in the 80s and times are different, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera, um, and that all these people are still shitty. Right, um, having said that, Sarah, <laughs> I'm a little bit older than you. And um, even in the 80s, it used to really annoy me, um, the kind of gender stereotyping and that kind of thing. So even though my household I grew up in was quite traditional, um, I always found that division of labour incredibly annoying. And I have to say, Des and Daphne's house situation, it is really weird. Even back then, if people were in a kind of student or young graduate kind of or young professionals house share you would not expect even in the 80s there to be a female housemate who did all the cooking all the cleaning and ironing for everybody um as if she was their mum slash wife uh, while everyone else went about their business like the boys would have either learned to do it themselves or they would have just gone around in like unironed clothes and, <laughs> and smelling um it wouldn't have been a thing so just speaking from my perspective having lived through the 80s albeit as a teenager i it was already annoying then and i don't think that this is what would be normal in a house share Good. Well, that that's good to know that I'm not being unduly harsh. I think I might be a bit spoiled when it comes to um, the division of labour because John is incredibly domesticated and uh, does... I, I was going to say most, but pretty much all because, because I'm disabled. It's not a secret that uh, I find and uh, have a chronic health condition that, that John you do a lot of it, don't you? <laughs> I, I do indeed. I, 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 it's my secret pleasure. I do enjoy doing washing up and laundry and stuff. See, John is my Daphne, um, which thank, makes me Des, thank, I think. Thank you. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's a compliment. We have it yeah. in this house. So we're sort of 50-50 with chores and things, depending on like people's skill set. So I'm a much better cook. Um, so I cook and then Mark washes up. Um, like I do the laundry and fold it and then he puts it all away. Like So we have... Um, oh a division of labor but there have been times uh when one of us has had to take over or the other has had to take over due to um also having many health issues so i think that's a very modern perspective though my grandma used to be horrified if a male brought a teacup back into the kitchen like or made their own god forbid made their own cup of tea <laughs> like as that was some kind of abuse of your spouse Oh my gosh. Well, we're very lucky to be living in a modern age. Um, and uh, another thing that I want to say is um, people are a little bit upset that I've been ragging on their favourites. Um, but bear in mind that this is the first time that I'm watching this. So, you know, that Neighbours is very good at doing that thing where they introduce someone very obnoxious and then they slowly, slowly make you fall in love with them. Yeah. So I'm sure that if you have a favourite that I'm crapping all over, I will come to love them just as much as you do in time. Um, but I am commenting in real time on people I've never met before. Um, and these are my first impressions. So um, 
please uh, do not turn off in disgust. And one of those people is Eileen, who I've been quite hard on because she she threatened a terrorist attack against Daphne, and I think that's that's quite a lot. But um, I'll, I'll get to her. So um, so Daphne and Shane are still on. They plan a picnic for the next morning before Shane goes off to give a totally innocent late night driving lesson <laughs> to a beautiful woman. Um, and Daphne's like, it's fine because he told me about it. Oh my goodness! I've got, I've actually have in my in my very very short notes. One of the first things is lol at late night driving lesson. What the hell is that? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I would accept John giving a late night driving lesson to a beautiful woman called Liz who I hadn't met. I mean, or anybody really. It's a, it's a weird thing to do. Unless he was a driving instructor and that the person was like a nurse who was who did. No, oh wait. come on, sorry, That's you're the really reaching now. <laughs> unless, you know, know. unless there was someone they'd given all their money to charity and could only afford nighttime lessons, so they didn't have to use the electricity in their house or something. They, yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. I think any announcement of a secret late night driving lesson is, yeah, it smells, is what I'm saying. Yes, well, Shane smells, and uh, yeah, the next day when Daphne arrives to pick pick him up for the picnic, but that's a that's a mouthful um it's very clear that he hasn't slept at the bedsit and poor max um is put in the very uncomfortable position of not knowing whether to cover for his son or like it, it you know he, he's he sort of starts reaching in the way that i just did um and it's it it's very very obvious what what's been going on um max is not max isn't a great wingman <laughs> no no i would i wouldn't have picked him I mean, at least he didn't go on the driving lesson with them, though. Yeah, he he does like making a third wheel of himself. But Daphne is understandably very upset that her de facto boyfriend is staying over at other women's houses. They argue about it. And I don't know what you both thought, but I um, I just have in my notes, Shane is a prick. Um, I put naughty Shane. And then I, <laughs> and then I wrote down about how um, Daphne... Um, um, left her breakfast to go and find this out. This is that I'm such a Jewish mother <laughs> that I literally wrote down um, Daphne's left her breakfast when Des made her a hard boiled egg <laughs> um, to go and see Shane and then to find out that naughty Shane. But yet when she comes back, she still does up um, Des's tie. I just found that whole dynamic so very odd. Um, but yeah, imagine leaving your breakfast only to find out that your boyfriend stepped over someone's house. I mean, I'd, I would have felt that at least I could have finished the <coughs> breakfast. She does mention that, actually. She does say, like, if only I'd finished my breakfast, you'd have got back here in time. <laughs> and that was what I thought as well. And she'd have been set up for the day. Yeah, and less hangry. Yeah. Maybe she would have been happy about the the secret driving. No, I'm reaching again. Um... I mean, Shane is just, I don't know, he's just meh. I, he's I, a player. The whole, the whole character... But he's not even good at that. He's not like he's some sort of, I don't know, successful with the ladies kind of guy. I don't, I don't know. What to, uh, you know, whatever the word. Lothario? No. <laughs> That's um, the word. Yeah, yeah, something like that. He's he's just this kind of, he's this blah. He's a, he's a flat tire is what he is. He really is. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't bring much to the table. Um so he, he then says they should both see other people. So I would like us to note this for later. He says they should both see other people. Yeah. Let's just yes. let's just flag that, put a put a drop a pin in that one. Um yeah. Daph- Daphne isn't happy about it. Um no, why would you goes, be? Especially because it yeah. has got there's a there's a tone to that statement, isn't there? 
Oh, yeah. Um, and, and he's like, I'm going to keep seeing her whether you like it or not. So there. He's just really horrible about it. Yeah. Des then sort of, to Daphne's face, he takes Shane's side in a sort of boys will be boys kind of way. Yeah. But then he does go sort of behind, not behind her back, that implies some sort of malice, but he goes to try to reason with Shane when she's not there. And Shane's such a prick to Des. I mean, I think he puts it all on how he's had this accident and it's changed how he thinks about life and he's not a perfect person anymore. But I feel like that's just an excuse to do whatever he wants and not think about the consequences, including being a rubbish friend. Yeah, he's he's a horrible friend to Des. Des, Des is the most gentle intervention ever. He's like, hey, look, maybe just be really clear with Daphne about what the ground rules of your relationship are. And Shane's like, well, why don't you just marry her? <laughs> it's, he doesn't say that, but he, it's that sort of tone. It's really, he's so defensive and unpleasant. Again, with my god-awful notes, I just have Des steps up to the plate, and I'm assuming this is what this is about. And the line of, oh, I don't want to listen to you anymore, Des. And he storms off. And I think that was Shane, but I'd have no context around that in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Shane doesn't want to listen to anyone. Um, but this causes Daphne to do rage aerobics, which looks like a terrible idea. Like, uh, that's a recipe for a torn muscle because she's doing what's m- meant to be sort of gentle stretches, <laughs> but she's doing them really vigorously. Very vigorously. Um, it, you know what it always reminds me of when you see her doing those exercises? It reminds me of the film Total Recall because isn't it? Doesn't the wife who I don't want to ruin the film for anyone who hasn't seen it? Doesn't the wife doing that sort of aerobicsy thing right at the beginning? Yes, when he when he comes in after when having after in. having after having been to Recall uh, or and not then, or been yeah, or not or, yeah or maybe maybe and then yes she's um because I then I think I then think not I mean no massive spoiler I do think she then tries to kill him with some form of workout. Yeah, well, maybe that's what Daphne's doing. Exactly. Maybe she's maybe uh, Total Recall. Arnold Arnold Schwarzenegger's wife is also hangry. Um, For we know, she could also (laughs) be Australian. I don't know, but anyway, always. But then I was thinking about why does it remind me of it, and I guess it was from the same kind of time period. So maybe they're wearing very similar leotards and doing a similar workout. Speaking of leotards, uh, who should arrive but Eileen with groceries um, uh, ready to cook for Des because God forbid Des should cook a meal for himself. And Daphne talks her into getting into a leotard and joining in. And it takes some cajoling. But now this is where Eileen is really starting to grow on me. Mm -hmm. It is the funniest scene. She is adorable in her utter enthusiasm she loses herself in that she's so she, joyous she going isn't she for it. she's like yeah. um giggly and young and accessing her inner her you know it's it's beautiful it's lovely um and just as she is sort of letting go of whatever stick is up her butt Des comes home with a new friend from work um, and they walk in on... I don't know why he's brought this random man home because he just felt sorry for him. They walk in on the girls doing aerobics and Eileen acts like she's just been walked in. I once went on this um, this Hindu where um, I, I didn't know anyone and I just I found one of the many, many bathrooms in one of these obnoxiously big houses that people get for Hindus. You know? yeah. And um, I went and had a bath and I, I thought I'd lock the door but I the lock was apparently broken and somebody one of the like mums uh, aunts of the of the groom or something walked in um who i'd never met before um and she took one look at my completely naked body and went oh are you in here 
no, I'm a I'm a figment of your imagination. Um, but it, Eileen's reaction is sort of similar to mine, um, that she's been seen in, in something as obscene as a leotard. Um, but then she gets compared to both Madonna and Ginger Rogers. So that's nice for her. Yeah, that's a win and a win. Yeah, I'd say it's it's all coming up, Eileen, um, so to speak. I didn't know how that I didn't know how that was going to go because it's the it's the work friend who compares her to Ginger Rogers, I think, isn't it? Um, and I yes. was like, oh, is he going to say something really horrible? Oh, I don't know how this is going to go, but yeah, he 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 saved it in the end. No, no, he's uh, I, there's a little bit of romance in the air. He's widowed, and Eileen is into it. She's pretending to like opera. She's uh, even, she talks about Gil- does Gilbert and Sullivan qualify as opera? Light opera. Okay. Um, and he says he's widowed. She sort of tries to make it sound like she's widowed too. Um, but Des immediately is like, no, she's divorced. <laughs> um, so, uh, yes, not, not, very, not a very helpful wingman either. Um, then at the end of the dinner, George asks Eileen out and they make a date for the next day. So that's cute. It is cute. Um, I think however old you are and however obnoxious you are, there is a pot for every lid or a lid for every pot, whatever the expression is. That's a nice yeah. thing. Is he quite a lot? Was he? It's hard to tell because it's quite a fuzzy screen. Is he quite a lot younger than her? Or are they, is it meant to be an older work friend? I, I got um, the sense he was around her age or not, not an... I mean, not an, I don't mean to word, use the word inappropriate, but I think he was an appropriate age range probably for... Mm. Not offensively younger. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's hard to tell because it's you know old grainy, um, old grainy footage. Um, Shane comes over while Terry is trying to get on her wedding dress, and they have they have all these little moments. He helps her unhook the dress. Uh, he he has a little flirty flirt with Terry. He kisses her on the forehead. Um, what's he doing? This whole thing is super awkward for me. Um, this whole Terry and Shane's dance because I don't think that she really likes him. I don't think she really likes anybody, but also I don't, I think he's just like an, a, you know, you can be a bit obsessed with the person who dumped you and, um, or your ex. I think mm. it's that rather than him as a person. Um, and it's being built up by Daphne's suspicions of it, by Shane's like general demeanor, whatever. Um, but also hang on, because I have something written about this. Um, Wait, carry on amongst yourselves while I look for it a second, because my notes are written in a neurodivergent way, which means they are not consecutive <laughs> or in a sensible fashion, but they are detailed. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. The fact that um, uh, I was skipping ahead, I guess, a tiny bit, but within our time scale, um, that Shane keeps being put in these positions by the writer where he's around terry in her wedding dress um and then you know what we're going to hear a little bit more about how he ends up having um, being suggested as a stand-in for paul for house hunting for wedding rehearsals for whatever but they don't actually have any chemistry whatsoever no no it's it's it's, uh, it's yeah I, I noticed that as well there's just it's eh, it's just completely flat there's no there's clearly no interest from her um and i think he's yeah the interest is all one-sided from him it feels to me a bit like when you're when you're in secondary school and everyone well maybe this is just me when I was in secondary school there was a boy like in my crowd who everyone thought and he was quite a popular boy but everyone thought we'd be the perfect match for each other specifically because 
we both played the guitar. That's all you need. That's all you need. Don't have to have <laughs> anything else in common. Don't have to fancy each other, whatever. And um, that was a relationship that began and ended on peer pressure. And it had no content to it whatsoever because you can't play guitar all day and all night. And, well, I was too young to be doing anything all night. Um, So um, this is kind of what I see with Terry is that he's the sort of boy she should have fancied because he's nice looking um, and she likes him a bit when she first met him. But there's nothing in it really for her. And for him, they're all mannequins. All the women are just mannequins for him to do things at. Basically, that women are possessions. So Daphne and Terry, um, Daphne notices, obviously, because Daphne um, is hyper aware of everything Shane's doing for obvious reasons, that uh, Terry is, I guess, uh, the script says she's mooning over Shane. Um, So (laughs) Daphne notices that the script says that Terry is mooning over Shane. Um, They argue about it. I don't really understand Daphne and Terry's dynamic. It sort of veers between like gal pal and like i said in a previous episode two cats that need to be kept in separate rooms because they <laughs> don't get along like it's really weird um terry is they daphne and terry actually have more chemistry than than either of them do with shane um that's a very but, interesting point actually yeah it's, it's quite it feels quite charged between them i always think they're gonna like finish arguing and make out maybe that's just me <laughs> but uh she says terry's you know terry's expressing more concern for the best man than she is the groom and terry denies everything she's she just likes his family um okay um and daphne says shane's changed from the sensitive guy he was in the i guess the first five minutes of this show (laughs) (laughs) um and hasn't been since i don't know well i mean my blame for everything with shane is maria And Maria's parenting, I think, has a lot to answer for in terms of Shane and Danny in general and just their specific attitudes towards women. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, because I feel Max uh, is there's obviously he's an unconstructed person in lots of ways, but there are a lot of people like him. I feel like Maria's parenting is so bizarre. It's not surprising that Shane is so weird with women. And these ones in particular, especially Daphne, yeah. a nurturer. I think it's it's a combination of both of the like it's a perfect storm of bad parenting. Hmm. I think that that Maria Maria and Max are different types of toxic parent. Max is a misogynist who doesn't respect women, who thinks of them as property, who doesn't understand that they have their own thoughts and feelings. He's getting better at it, but that's how he's been for Shane the formative years of Shane's life. And Maria. We'll get to Maria, um, but uh, let's first check in with the Robinsons. Okay. It's uh, it's pre-wedding season. Um, Paul and Terry are looking for a house still. Paul still won't, and this is a direct quote, allow Terry to work. Um, even Julie thinks this is a lot. Yeah. Um, I know it's the 80s, but really, is it, was it, were women not allowed to work in the 80s? They were allowed to work as long as they wore very large shoulder pads and quite bright lipstick that matched their suit. <laughs> oh my god, the shoulder the shoulder pads. I think I I I can't remember who was wearing it, but I was like, good lord, those shoulder pads. They're quite impressive. Yeah. They, they I mean, you know, maybe it's it's metaphorical for what we had to put up with in that time. Um that that we had to carry it all on our shoulders. I'm reading too much into this. English graduate, can't help it. Um Maria gives uh, Max his wedding his Robinson wedding invitation. I'm including this in the Robinson bit because it it only really um 
affects Maria insofar as she's upset that he rips it up. Um, the Robinsons bitch about Max and Paul wants to go over there and give him hell. And Terry's like, look, can I just handle it myself? He's my friend. He's like, he's my boss. Can I just go and talk to him? Mm. And Paul's like, no, I'm the man. I'm going to go beat him up. Um, and poor Terry, only Helen is like, um, Terry's a person. <laughs> so maybe just let her deal with this in her way. Um, so they actually need Helen to remind them that Terry is a human being. Helen um, has a very odd role because she is yeah. there just to kind of step in, get very close to the person in the shot, and then um, give them advice <laughs> they haven't asked for, and then tell them, of course, you know it's up to them, or she doesn't know everything, or she's only trying to help. You know, quantify it immediately. But the advice is always in a close-up shot so that we remember that that is Helen's important job. And it's always chaos. She's She always roots for like the most chaotic, inappropriate things to happen. Helen is an agent of chaos. I keep saying this. She, <laughs> she, she is trouble. Um, so Terry goes over to talk Max round, and in a very sweet scene, she asks him to give her away. And this would be lovely if, if spoiler alert, he'd actually done it in the end. <laughs> Um, but he says yes, and then later lets her down. So, which which is never mentioned, I don't think. It didn't. It didn't come up. I was puzzled by that as well. Yeah, really. I mean, it ha- it didn't happen. It was gone. Yeah. Um, then Paul throws a tantrum because Max is coming to the wedding. Um, Jim and Scott, meanwhile, are arguing over the coffee shop. Scott gets left um, to look after the coffee shop by the boss, um, alongside the boss's son, who immediately is like. Bye. Um, I'm I'm the boss's son. I'm lazy and I'm leaving. Yeah. Um, so Scott phones Danny for help. Um, and Danny thinks it's some sort of emergency, like serious. He thinks someone's shooting at Scott. So I don't know why he thinks that. Um, and he runs around to get Julie and Jim, who um, they go around to to the coffee shop and they get there just see the chaos and they they all just without a word, without a word to each other, without a word to Scott, all just start fastening aprons and cooking things and like they've worked there forever like they know where everything is they are a unit that family they are so competent they are but also isn't it bizarre scott having responsibility for that cafe it's one of a few times through this patch of episodes where um it's set up like the beginning of an episode of casualty now i don't know Mm. um if our listeners are just in the uk or around the world but the tv show casualty here in britain always starts with a situation where you can they're setting up the terrible incident that's going to happen and it's a bit milked like it's always a bit like um would you hang up the Christmas lights? Yes, I'll just get the rickety old ladder that's been rotting away in the garden shed that we've just seen a fox gnawing on the leg of. And, <laughs> um, you know, I'll just pop it, pop it against this wall um, by the tree where we've seen the hairline fracture when we looked at an <laughs> unnecessary photo that was hanging on it. Um, and we've seen the crack going down from where the nail is in a previous shot for no apparent reason. You know, so there's all these many things that come around it. And then sometimes, it, I find in sometimes the neighbours, they do this kind of setup and there's not really the payoff because the setup of giving Scott responsibility for the cafe involved um, that there's other people who can be working who are going to leave a lot of money in the till for you to deal with there'll be this there'll be that whatever um, and it's all on your and but I think you 16 year old student or however old he's meant to be you are the perfect person to leave in sole charge 
of my business with a till full of money and <laughs> as if it's definitely going to be like a robbery with guns with whatever and all it is yeah. is too many customers I mean that's it and then his family help him it's a kind of set it's a pull back and reveal of something that isn't interesting yeah, they do that a lot in Neighbours. They set things up that never, ever, ever come to anything. Even later on in the episode, we get a bomb scare that's just like, oh, and it was an alarm clock. Never mind. Like, wah, it's wah, wah. Sport, I, guess, I was it's waiting. Just, we'll talk. I guess yeah. we'll talk about this later. But I was, I was like, what? Something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. Oh. No, nothing's going to No, this is, this is 1985. This is Neighbours. Nothing. I promise you, nothing is going to ever happen. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe it will. We've got another couple of months until the rebrand and when I think things start happening. Um, anyway, um, we'll, we'll zoom through this coffee shop stuff. Some men sexually assault Julie. It's played for laughs. Ha ha ha. Um, at least they tip well, I guess. Um, Jim and Scott come to some sort of understanding about him working at the coffee shop. I wasn't listening enough to know what it is. I don't care. Um, <laughs> um, then there's there's all this talk about Auntie Gwen, who I'm not going to waste too much time on because that is another setup that comes to absolutely nothing. Um, because um, as far as I'm aware from other viewers, Auntie Gwen never comes back. Um, and she's here for like two episodes. Um, and It was nice so, for Helen. Yeah. She gets a bit of closure in a life trauma. So I sure. feel like it was a ticking, um, someone when they wrote the backstories before they started creating Neighbours thought, well, something has to have happened to Helen in the past. She has to have had like, you know, every, every character needs their back trauma. And yeah. um, this one was, and the reason she stands up for everyone is because somebody let her down. So they've sort of resolved it and then that's it. The box has been ticked and Gwen has fulfilled her function. Yeah, but you know they set it up like Julie's invited her behind her back, so yeah. that's going to be a thing. And that Helen's upset for like two seconds, and, and then I, I'm guessing that's not going to come back. I don't. I don't remember her ever being mentioned again. It would have been nice to have had some kind of um, elderly woman's cat fight. I think at the wedding, like in an EastEnders style, but yeah, it doesn't yeah. happen. No, nothing happens. Um, more of materialistic Paul. Nowhere's good enough for him and Terry to live. Terry calls him spoiled. Um, she's probably right. Um, see, everyone says Paul became an arsehole because of this relationship, but he's kind of already the arsehole that we... He's, like, he's, yeah, the seeds spoiled. are there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like uh, he's not unrecognizable from the Paul Robinson of the future. Um, so moving on to the Ramses, unless we have anything else to say about the pre-wedding Robinsons in anyone's notes. Um, the pre-wedding Robinsons. Oh, I need to look. Um, no, are we about to talk about the dinner party? Because I don't know if yes. that comes under Ramses or Robinson. I have I have stuff to say about that. <laughs> um, we, we, um, why, why don't you Why don't you kick us off? Well, there's this bizarre uh, situation where, um, with Helen's encouragement, Maria's invited her and Jim, who often function as a couple, which I suppose is kind of understandable in that they're the adults in the household. But every so often she does straighten his tie in a very wifey way, which is weird because she is his mother-in-law. Um, but anyway, they've been invited as a couple for dinner with uh, Maria and her new beau, Richard, um, who, despite the fact that in the timescales we're watching, they seem to have known each other for two seconds, it's all hot and heavy and the longest relationship she's ever had where she's felt loved and many things like that. And um, 
yeah, so they come around for dinner and Max phones Jim to sort of try and make amends and see if they could go out and hang out. And he makes a work-related excuse. We've all done it, but he makes a work-related excuse. And then it turns out, obviously, he's going to this dinner party. Um, and there were two moments at the dinner party, which I've written with a lot of ex- exclamation marks. That's quite a hard <laughs> thing to say. One is um, that um, there's this moment where... Uh, where Richard, um, where Maria offers drinks to them and Jim says, oh, I'll go, you know, do, do you want a beer or whatever? And Jim says, I'll get it. And then Richard goes, stay put, Jim, I'll get it. In a kind of, <laughs> I'm peeing on my lamppost here so that you know exactly who is the man of the house now. Um, like it wasn't aggressive, but it was definitely, um, it was like a tiny yeah. little chihuahua being an alpha male, which I found quite funny. Um, but also when they move to the table, there are other dramas that happen, but this was the one that really is going to annoy me till my dying day. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that is when they go to the table and Helen and Maria uh, start serving soup. Right. And then the guys are yeah. the guys are having man chats and Helen and Maria starts serving soup and Helen's helping her. Mar- um, Helen does not have a plate at her place. Now, there's four people eating dinner. There's three place settings, which are a plate with a soup bowl on it. And then one, which is just a bowl, a bowl and cutlery. Everyone else has got plates and cutlery and their bowls. Maria's filling the bowls. No one. Why is Helen not allowed a plate? What happened to Helen's plate? <laughs> what happened to Helen's plate? Well, I don't understand why she hasn't got a plate. And did nobody look at that scene? Dental issues. I don't know. But she's still eating the dinner. I mean, she's there for the dinner. <laughs> If, if imagine inviting someone around for dinner and not putting a plate at one of your guests' place. I just don't understand. When the um, person set the scene, <laughs> I'm going to go on about this. But honestly, you know that when you're filming something, you've got all different people working on that scene, right? You've got all the different production team and crew and runners and whoever. There'll be a set designer. There'll be a stylist. And they looked at that table and they thought, right, there's four people coming. Let's get four bowls, four knives four spoons, four forks, a big tureen of soup, three bowls. (laughs) And and did they not like try and change it? Didn't they stop the filming and go, (laughs) hang on a second, continuity... Uh, we they didn't have time. They were they were they they didn't have time to write plots. They didn't have time to do continuity. They just they just had to keep going, keep well, churning it me, out. For me, Helen's lack of a soup bowl is the um, Paul McCartney barefoot on the cover of Abbey Road moment. Well, he- Helen's really dead. Who knows? But she's not given a plate. <laughs> is what she's not. I'd like to hear people's views. One of the many reasons it was dropped by the network. Maybe. Almost definitely. I would like people it's, it's who are listening game. to, honestly, I would love your theories on how comes Helen doesn't have a plate. <laughs> I'm going to take a screenshot of it. It's It will, as I say, um, there are two things that will be like what I say on my deathbed when, you know, when everyone crowds around me and goes, she's trying to say something, she's trying to say something. One will be a topper <laughs> that I missed off a joke in 2017 that's still annoying me now um, because it was a perfect show and I missed out that one additional joke that made no difference to, the, to anything but will always <laughs> annoy me because it would have been perfect if I'd remembered the words she didn't have a medical qualification but she did laugh at my joke which is the topper of a joke um, <laughs> and how comes Helen didn't have a plate and then they'll think there's something wrong with me, you know, mentally. That's why I haven't remembered those things. Well, that's why I'm saying these strange words. But everyone who's listened to this will know the reason I'm saying it is because 
Helen did not have a plate at Maria's dinner party. Why? <laughs> I think it was a mind game. I think it was a power play of some kind by Richard that he set the table and he was like, one of you will not get a plate and you're going to think about it for the rest of your life. Why did I not get a plate? Um, I, I don't know. He seems like the type. He plays a lot of mind games. Yeah. Um, but so so Max obviously comes storming into the situation, demanding to know where Helen's plate is, um, and why and why Jim has um has lied to him, even though he has socialized before, hasn't he? Like it's obvious why. Um and he starts yelling and being Max, and then Jim yells back and calls him um self-centered and really goes off on him in a way that I think was maybe like Look, I'm no Max fan, but they're they're old friends. Mm-hmm. This is in front of the new boyfriend. Maybe don't don't give him quite that amount of like go, say it in private. Like take him aside. Yeah. I think. Yeah, but it's the heat of the moment as well. It's a very it's a sensitive time because also Jim will have been in and out of that house many times. You know, over the decades of friendship, and for Max, it's seeing the interloper in his chair with a plate mm. um i can see why that would have set him up and also obviously he's been wound up by danny who's playing some kind of Haley mills in parent trap manipulator role here um yeah it, which is and then this kind of curtain twitching of going to watch like he's the one who's kind of created this environment and he's really made it so that max felt like oh it's going to be fine to pop in despite all the history oh it's going to be fine to just go mend a bike or whatever it is he's gone to do or um and so i think it's he's so caught on the back foot i'm kind of feel for max in this and i think he ends that scene with a bit of dignity really at the end he sort of backs off and just leaves them to it and um i might have punched people but the person i'd have punched is whoever laid the table yeah, whoever laid the table and whoever gave Richard that sweater vest. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, Danny, Danny is the is the agent of chaos in this. Then Helen makes Jim go and apologize to Max, um, and they end up arguing even more. It doesn't go well. Um, back at the house, Richard is look. I'm I, I'm not Team Danny in this. Danny's being a little shit, but Richard just can't wait to be like, ditch your son ditch your son you don't need your son um he's really in there like he he's he really is instead of trying to reconcile them and make an effort with danny he's he's just he, he's going full divide and conquer poisoning maria against her son as much as possible taking advantage of the situation he kind of proposes to her keeps saying he wants to marry her it's i i i can't stand watching them together john i know you said that you you had no strong feelings about this i don't know if it's just kind of me i kind of after we had that conversation i kind of i had i was watching it then with that in mind and yeah there's a little bit of the kind of slimy about him you know he's uh he's he's going he's really moving fast I don't like the way he keeps the way he hugs her feels really violent. It's like he he keeps like clutching her to him in a real. It's it's. I think it's meant to be melodramatic, but I feel it, like they're throwing two her about. People who are who are really weird in relationships and really quite aggressive in their relationships. He's he just always seems mm. to me um, to. I, I, I've been nervous of him from the beginning. I think when I was on the, as the guest on the episode, it was the first time we'd met him. And at the time yeah. I just thought 
it was so weird and he sort of implied like i'll give you a good um a summary of what has been stolen from your house so you get more money if you'll go out with me that was the vibe and it's it's always felt a little bit like that and even now with this mm. but you know i love you you know i love you more than anyone's going to love you and um you know, all you need is me but she reacts the same way she's like she, you know yeah. she's she's well into that um you know it's just you and me against the world vibe i don't really know why he's not even that good looking he's he's i'm not going to comment on the on the appearance of the actors but i will say the whole thing makes my skin crawl um and i just don't i they have no chemistry i, I don't like her weird little girl act that she does with him hmm. she, the way she sort of like you know it's always oh richard i thought i would never see you again it's so dramatic it's so it's a lot hmm. and if i i just I have no patience with it i think they're all Everyone in that kind of I'm gonna call it a love triangle because Danny is clearly in love with his mother. 100%. But the whole the whole person the whole thing in that everyone's just so screwed up there. So you, you got you got old mate Richard who's a little bit kind of slimy and kind of yeah you could I don't know maybe I'm maybe I'm I'm kind of getting ahead of things but he he seems like he could once they're in wherever they're moving to and they're married, then suddenly the violence comes out or something like that. Who knows? And then you've mm. got, you know, Maria's yeah. just all kinds of fucked up from, to be fair, from decades or however long it was being married to soulmate Max, whose idea of romance is probably, I picked up some potatoes for you to cook on the way home. <laughs> um, you know, and then Danny, oh my God. I mean, if Danny was that age today, either incel or manosphere or something like that big men's rights <laughs> activist pickup artist kind of vibe coming from him yeah um really yeah, I, I, I just ugh, he, he gives he gives, he gives me the shivers but also in their confrontation like maria and danny um she says to him you disgust me yeah imagine saying that to your child like however i mean i I don't know. I don't want to speculate on what um, serial killers' mothers may or may not have said to their children. They are doing everything possible to ensure that he has quite a dangerous future. Yeah, she engages with him like he's another, like she's another teenager. Yeah, like not not like she's a parent. Like she's on his level. Like a parent would say, "Listen, let's sit down. We need to have a talk." Okay, so I'm in this relationship. You don't like it. We're gonna have to figure something out. Like we're gonna have to sit down and talk about this. I'm I I am gonna have to have my own life. Like, but she she goes straight to a hundred with him. Right. You know, she she she's so reactive and she doesn't handle it. Like she just lacks the emotional maturity to parent him absolutely um, and i speak as a jewish mother who's obsessed with her children right honestly <laughs> i mean if i could have uh, my kids and indeed my new grandchild um sitting in the room with me 24 hours a day for the rest of my life so i can keep an eye on them i would be perfectly happy with that but i've never embraced them and then argued with them in the close very close personal space proximity that uh, yeah. maria does it like if, it's one thing if you give them a hug or you give them a kiss but with her you always feel with both her kids actually actually um you feel that in a way there's more passion um and i mean that in the sexual way not in a maternal yeah. way than there is with richard or indeed even max at his best yeah yeah she's um so so then she goes crying to jim who who you know white knights and says he'll talk to danny um and basically he tries a couple of times and then he tells danny to tell his parents that he loves them um so danny goes over to max and says that he loves him max doesn't say it back i know that he he gets welled up and it's it's meant to be sweet but like dude say it back that someone someone express an iota of parental affection yeah. for this child um 
so Maria then has told Richard that she loves him and she goes gushing to Helen, who's like, oh, Maria, this is all so romantic and wonderful. Helen is a terrible friend. Terrible friend. I mean, I've even written that Helen is a bad friend and Helen gives terrible advice. And um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, she's she's part of the, the well, actually, I'll, I'll wait till we come to it. I, Helen has very specific jobs in Neighbours. So I've said one of the functions before, but there is another one. And I think the, the bad advice is connected to it. Um, carry on, Sarah. So, so, yeah, Max finally agrees to take Maria to the wedding. I don't know why. She wants him to be... It's all very confusing. She's giving him some really mixed messages here. She sort of flirty flirts it up with Max now, gives him a very confusing kiss. Mm. I think it's way too soon to be interacting with him on that in that on that on pitch. Um, they've, they've only been split up like three months. And they the need last some time boundaries. they've met is a big old scene, um, a big yeah. arguing scene. You'd have thought that it would be at best neutral. Yes, it, they, she really, absolutely no boundaries, that woman. Um, then Richard comes over, bursts in. This, this scene is so bizarre. He just like bursts into his house like he's being chased by mobsters, like starts throwing Maria around at those awful aggressive hugs he does and just demands that she moves to Hong Kong with him. And he's like, you have 24 hours to decide. And it's a good thing because it's going to force you into deciding between me and your son. So there. How romantic. That was so weird because not to, a little bit further on, the whole thing with him moving to Hong Kong is like, that's it. He's going to go there and they're going to chain him to a radiator and he can never leave. Yeah. It's like, he, it's like, yes, I know Australia is a long way away from everywhere, but there's flights that fly yeah. between Hong Kong and Australia probably multiple times a day. He can come in, if they want to do the long distance thing, he can come and visit. She can go and visit him. It's not like you have to move to me with me or we can never see each other again because I'll never be able to leave. Yeah, it was all or nothing. She may, she even makes a comment about it. She says something like, but you know, like if some people could uh, travel backwards and forwards, but with you and me, it's all or nothing. And I thought, well, that is not love, is it really? Because love is you support the person doing their thing and then you try and accommodate it the best that you can while they support you doing your thing. Um, But this, like it has to be all or nothing. That's um, anything. Once it gets conditional, you know, it's problematic. Yeah, it's incredibly problematic. And then he he gives her this ludicrous rom-com deadline, like meet me by this fountain at five tomorrow if your answer is yes. Why not just... I want to just sit down and talk about why does it have to be this crazy rush? Because he knows that that's the only way to get her to go is to put pile on an enormous amount of pressure and make her feel like she's going to lose out on the relationship unless she makes a decision immediately. Um, and yeah, it's just so dramatic and unnecessary. So Maria pretends to agonize with Helen, like, oh, well, how much do I really owe my children anyway? Um, yeah. I'd say at least until they finish school um, and are adults. It was a weird debate, don't... that. Like, it, it did yeah. feel like a sixth form debate, which often I do find, like, Early Neighbours feels like it was written as a sixth form end of year show. Um, uh, yeah. the, the sort of debate on how much does a parent owe her child? It was pre- It was honestly presented like, how much does a parent owe her child discuss, like a hypothesis or maybe something on Twitter, a thread? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it doesn't, it's so depersonalized. Like you say, like it has nothing to do with Danny is a teenager in crisis. Like he is clearly in a mental health crisis. He's, he's, just his family's just broken up he's been emotionally abused his whole life he is the subject of all of this he doesn't know it but he knows it 
Like he knows deep down, he doesn't know that he's about his paternity, but he knows deep down what that it's something to do with him. Um, and no one is telling him otherwise. And it's she. He clearly needs parenting right now, and she's just like, oh, but I want to, I want to go with Richard. Mm. She is such a child. Um, so then, then she decides that she is going to go, and Helen's like, oh, I'll miss you. Good for you. <laughs> Terrible friend that Helen is. Helen then drives Maria to see Richard and they have the they the, it's so I, I care about it so little that they have to create false tension by having the car break down. Um Maria hasn't even discussed this with her family, by the way. She's just she's just decided it's yes. Yeah. Um Anyway, the car breaks down. Helen fixes the car. They get there. Richard's still there. Um, she goes running to him with her little girl thing, buries her face in him. Oh, I thought I'd never see you again. She says about 10 times a week. Um, she, then she said she wants to bring Danny with to Hong Kong. I don't think she's understood the ultimatum he's given her. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't think, think the invite was for Danny. I don't think it was. But at the same time, that's also so weird, isn't it? Because if you've got a girlfriend who or boyfriend or any kind of partner and they have a dependent child you can't just expect them to dump them no and not, not to be not to be overly pedantic but i would wager that she can't just take her child who is not of the age of majority to another country without the permission of the other parent probably and max is maybe not gonna i'm gonna take danny i'm gonna take danny with me um okay <laughs> Well, that the thing is that um, has it, it's his parentage has already come out, hasn't it? Um, yeah. Between them, so the fact that he's not by the biological parent would oh, be a I longer about court. That. Yeah, it would be a longer court case, <laughs> wouldn't it? Because it would be about who has parental responsibility. I mean, yeah. So it's an interesting. Thing. But then she'd have to actually tell Danny. Yeah, Max is his de facto is his de facto, or de jure. Max has raised him as his son. <laughs> I mean, you, very good law words there, John. Impressive. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, interesting. But it's also, I mean, I mean, I was quite amazed that Maria was willing to leave either Danny or Shane, with whom she's so madly in love, to be honest, even to go with Richard. Yeah, well, you know, she's got a shiny new boyfriend now. Um, then she tells Richard, and, and I think this is appalling, by the way, that Max isn't Danny's biological father. Danny doesn't know this, but she tells Richard, who Danny hates. And then Richard says, he, oh, Maria, I always knew. No, you didn't. Always as well. They've been together for three episodes or something. Yeah. No, you did How did you know? What gave her away? In what, on what planet did you know? That th th It makes no sense. What's he talking about? This is your Helen's plate. How did he know? Why, why is he saying that he knew? She's given no indication thus far that that there's any reason to doubt Max's paternity. Max doesn't look like Shane. Um, it, no. He, he, it's not like, you know, oh, he just doesn't look like Danny. He doesn't look like either of them. And then they also it's, haven't you know. spent lots of, it's not like they, he's spent lots of quality time in the environment of Maria, Max and Danny to see how they interact with each other and come to a conclusion. No, it's absolute nonsense. It's, it's just not thought through. Yes. Well, meanwhile, the Robinsons continue their shit stirring. Um, Jim and Max have made up and Max, um, having misunderstood the situation, tells um, tells not Max, Jim, rather, having misunderstood the situation, tells Max that Maria is breaking, Maria and Richard are breaking up. He's moving to Hong Kong and Maria is staying behind. And so Max gets it in his head that he and Maria are going to 
be together. Mm. Um, meanwhile, before Maria's even spoken to Max, she asks Danny to go to Hong Kong. She's doing this all in the wrong order. Yeah. The first thing to do is to go and talk to Max. You sit down, you talk to Max. The second thing to do is to sit down with Danny and see if he's even amenable to the idea and and have a discussion. The third thing to do then is to bring Richard into the conversation. But no, it's all about Richard first. Then then she tells Danny, a volatile teenager, what's going to happen. For some reason, he doesn't want to upend his whole life to go to Hong Kong in his final year of school with a guy he hates. Um, so there's a showdown. Shane is there. Danny storms off to see Max, and who Maria hasn't told yet. And I'm thinking this is being set up so Danny is going to go and tell Max and it's all going to blow up. But somehow Maria gets there before him. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, she presumably she took his bicycle. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, make it all make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, Max, she gets there before Danny. Max is about to ask her to reconcile, but she drops the Hong Kong bomb, and Max, as expected, blows his lid and says he's not going to be lumbered with Danny, so she can go off with some other bloke. Um, Danny is waiting outside as Maria leaves and he starts crying because Max doesn't want him and his mum doesn't want him and no one wants him and Mm. God, someone get that kid into therapy. Absolutely. Anyway, later, Max is licking his wounds and Shane comes home and they have a quite... This is one of the first sensible things that Max has said, that he doesn't want to live with Danny because they're getting on and when they live together, their old dynamic might come back. Yeah, I think that was a fascinating change of tack in terms of intelligent thinking. Um, Mm. The fact that they had rebuilt their relationship based on a bit of space. And actually it reminds me of me and my sister because when we shared a bedroom, we used to fight like... I mean, I would say cat and dog, but I don't think that's fair to animals. I mean, really, really, we'd argue, we'd physically fight with each other. And as soon as we had a bit of space with each other, we got on. Now we're very super close. Um, So I think what he said is quite logical and nice. They have got more of a matey relationship. Um, Danny keeps telling him he loves him. It's all very, I mean, it's weird, but it is cute. Yeah, it is cute. Um, Anyway, Maria claims she never gave Max any encouragement which I dispute Um, I think she did give him a little bit of encouragement with all the kissy kissy take me to the wedding Um, Max comes to see Danny and they have a heart to heart he still doesn't tell the kid he loves him Um, Danny does all the emotional labour because his family is really messed up Um, then Danny says something like oh you know she's not gone yet and Max says oh she went a long time ago son Um, it's all very resigned and wistful the Robinsons offer to take Danny which I think would be the best thing for him frankly but uh, Maria says no um, so he does not get an escape and now we come to the wedding (laughs) we need some kind of music at this point John can you find an amazing sting dun 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 All the storylines merge down into one as the households come together for our first ever neighbor's wedding. Um, so, well, it, um, Scott is the cameraman, uh, photographer rather. Don't just just as a former wedding um, industry person, please do not use a teenager with a camera as your wedding photographer. You really will regret. It. That's the one thing you should spend money on as a photographer. They know what they're doing. They're worth the money. Uh, you you'll regret it when all your pictures are underexposed or like of someone's thumb just 
or overexposed just get get a photographer mm-hmm. anyway um they have they have the rehearsal paul is in singapore for work um so shane has to stand in which makes daphne della there try that again shane stands in for paul who is in singapore at the rehearsal which makes daphne jealous and terry gets depressed that she's not marrying shane and and uh, i don't know well, this is where i've written about a thousand lines um that so first of all um before you even get to the rehearsal just before the rehearsal we have this situation where Julie wants people's opinions on her wedding shoes, as if that is an important storyline, which includes Paul. Like before he goes off to get the call that he's go, got to work and he and he won't be around for the rehearsal and stuff. He wants her to. She wants to show him. No one cares what your shoes are like, Julie, and your brother in particular will not be bothered. But there's quite a lot of, and it's all to set up a very tiny moment later when the dog nibbles one of her shoes. But it's another example of the big setup for the poor payoff. Um, and the shoes, to be honest, aren't very nice. And I was quite happy that the dog ate them. Um, <laughs> but also, you know, Paul says that uh, Shane should help Terry house hunting and uh, go to the wedding rehearsal in his place as practice for him when he gets engaged, which is also the, a, a really weird thing to say. I mean, I'm, I, yeah. I feel like I'm sounding so negative. I've loved every minute of this. I just want to make that clear. But it, what a strange thing, even if this is your best friend, to put them in this position, to go and choose a house with your wife-to-be and to step in um, for uh, so that you can practice your engagement with my fiancé. Um, who you dated. Who you dated. And also this whole... This whole episode has really weird camera angles, like when um, teenagers now hold the phone like up and diagonal and whatever, so that it gets your most flattering angle. There's a lot of weird camera angles in it, but mostly um, it's the what is a marriage celebrant TED talk. So the when they get to the <laughs> wedding rehearsal, um, oh, they're coming to wedding rehearsal, they're talking about the fact it's going to be a marriage celebrant, as opposed to, I guess, like a, a vicar or a rabbi or uh, whoever, um, they're having a marriage celebrant. And then they have one of these conversations, which is um, which is the TED Talks. And that's another one of the Jim and Helen functions in the show. It's as if there's a sponsorship um, every few episodes to explain facts to people that they might not know. So they had, uh, last time I was on, we had the road safety when you're cycling TED Talk. And this time it's a, what is a marriage celebrant? Well, nowadays, some people prefer a marriage celebrant because blah, blah, blah. Um, And um, it's a scene with no, they don't even pretend to have it in a conversational way. Like there's, they don't even pretend to give each, they don't even give each other eye contact. Looking straight at the camera. It is a (laughs) Straight down the barrel. Exactly. On the, um, you know, one of the evening magazine TV shows where uh, they've got to kill five minutes. So they'll talk about an interesting fact that will enlighten the viewers. That's literally, it has, it's in case, maybe it's in case they got horrible emails, emails, in case they got horrible letters <laughs> um, from, or pigeon, uh, what's called carrier pigeon notes from viewers saying, um, I really enjoyed the wedding, but what is a marriage celebrant? They wanted to make sure it's- everyone knew before the wedding. It wasn't a new. I've just I've just now done a bit of research on this. It's not. It wasn't celebrants weren't a new thing. Like non-religious celebrants, um, they no. were codified by the Marriage Act of nineteen sixty-one brackets Australia. Um, so we're looking. That's at the 20, kind of detail I like. We're looking at at least twenty-five. And delivered I, I, by Jim. Yeah, 
Um, listen up, everybody. This is Jim Robinson here. Um, so I don't, I don't oh, know, I don't know if it was only religious before that. I've just just looked at the wiki article now, but so at least twenty five. We've we've had twenty five years in Australia at mm. this point of non religious marriage celebrants. So it's not news to anyone, or it shouldn't be. But it, I found it weird as well. There was nobody kicked off about it on the show like outright. But yeah. there was very Auntie much. Auntie Gwen this... didn't go. What was that? That wasn't a real no. wedding, and there was only yeah. a celebrant. Yeah, it, but 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 there's this. I I don't know. Maybe there was some. Maybe if anyone's listening from from Australia, they can shed light on. Maybe in the eighties there was some controversy around this. I don't know. It it just, it was weird though, wasn't it? Do you think it was because someone somewhere on the neighbors' writing team thought maybe one day? there'll be a character who is a marriage celebrant because of course <laughs> in later life and we're skipping forward like 30 something years, Susan is a marriage celebrant and they're playing she, the long game. She yeah. marries absolutely everybody. Like if anyone wants to get married, imagine the offense if you decided you were going to have a minister for your wedding of any denomination that wasn't Susan Kennedy. Oh, maybe yeah. it was. When you say she marries everybody, not like Paul <laughs> marries everybody. <laughs> maybe, it, maybe it was controversial. I'm, I'm, I'm just doing my wiki research. The first civil celebrants were authorized in 1973, so 12 years after the passage of the act. So Eileen maybe... is offended by the idea of a celebrant. She says in the previous episode that it's it's basically living in sin. Eileen is offended by everything. I mean, really, that wouldn't yeah. be my benchmark. No, um, but uh, yeah, so so interesting. If anyone if anyone knows why we're getting these TED talks, if anyone was in the room at the time, um, that would be yeah. These these sort of little public service announcements yeah. that would be helpful. Um, oh God. Um, so so where are we? Auntie Gwen turns up. I'm not going to go into Auntie Gwen. Let's just very quickly. She turns up. Helen's mad. Helen's mad at Julie. She cries. Helen gives her the silent treatment. Gwen tries to make up with her. Gwen makes a big speech at the wedding, confessing to stealing this money when they were teenagers. I think that's kind of a shitty way to hijack someone's wedding, but you do you, Gwen. Um, they shake hands, and I assume we never see her again. Um, and well, also, I, I just want to say... did get kicked out of school for that. Well, that's true. That is true. It did It did ruin the rest of her life. And she had to marry Bill, which who, I thought she liked Bill, whoever Bill is. Um, but it, it seems to be a, a big trauma for her. I wonder what went on there. But, but I just want to say that she, she yells at Julie for being a busybody. Helen yells at someone for being a busybody. Helen, who not two months ago got that guy and his daughter who he hadn't talked to in years and just ambushed him with the daughter and a whole family. Okay, right. It's only okay when Helen meddles. Got it. Good. One rule for Helen, another rule for everyone else. We got it. So I know people are going to get so mad at me for all the Helen Yeah, hate, because she's like, like Yoda in this, isn't yeah. she? Or Yoda, depending if you're a person who pronounces it that way. Um, who pronounces it that way? Some people do pronounce it Yoda. I have been corrected before. But it's written, and in fairness, I've got dyslexia, but it's written to me, Yoda. Yeah, it's it's one D. It's Yoda. End end of discussion. <laughs> None of this Yoda stuff. Um, Yoda, Yoda sounds um, it sounds like a, a Yiddish sort of insult, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, that guy's such a Yoda. Um, so it sounds like a, a Yiddish insult written by a Gentile writer. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the the guys go out um, on Paul's Bucks night without him, which uh, they don't seem to notice, which is funny. Um, while Terry and Daphne stay home. 
because God forbid they have any fun. Um, th- th- this is the second time where we've had a Bucks night with the boys and the girls are just like stayed home miserable. Yeah. Um, Shane and Des come in drunk and um, Des is like, oh, kiss and make up. So Daphne and Shane kiss. I think it's like they Terry- pash. I mean, and that's they, they very do much pash. a pash. Mm-hmm. And Terry looks on jealously and then goes to bed sad, which bodes well for her marriage. Uh, <laughs> um, anyway, um, Maria breaks up with Richard because Danny won't go to Hong Kong, which I think is momentarily probably the right thing to do because yeah. there are so many red flags. This guy's piling on pressure. She shouldn't abandon her child. Um, so after the breakup, Maria is crying and Danny is, I guess, trying to make out with her. I mean, yeah, it that was, was weird. The, the proximity <laughs> is disturbing. He's got his head against her head. He's touching her face. He's trying to console her. Yeah. There's a I lot of forehead to forehead interaction between Ugh. Danny and Maria. It's all very, I mean, it's very hard to watch without phoning social services. Yes. Um, Max bursts in and in a rare act of selflessness offers to take on Danny and tells Maria to go to Hong Kong. Um so that's that's nice character development, I guess. Um, except he then just doesn't go to the wedding because he's miserable and that's never mentioned. Which I think, look, I know he's got his own stuff going on and it's a hard time for him. But like, put it aside Show for half up a day. For Terry's wedding. Yeah, for God's sakes. Not like, least it's, it's, because it, yeah. Terry and Julie and Lucy are in the absolute worst dresses that anyone's ever worn. Um, and, and for some reason, Daphne's dressed as Victoria Wood. Um, it's, it's a very sort of surreal thing. So Daphne's in Victoria Wood trousers and jacket and shirt combo. And then actually, uh, then Lucy and um, Julia are in very ill-fitting satin dresses with kind of strange colours and strange wrinkles um and a poor fit and then actually terry's dress is quite nice but she's wearing what i can only describe as antennae in her hair <laughs> um that constantly dangling in, in her face and um, bouncing around in a really distracting way like i did feel that any scene she was in in that headdress that's all i was i was looking is it going to go in somebody's eye is it is someone going to breathe it in by mistake these weird antennae with dangly beads on the end and then uh, and they have a strange conversation about where to put flowers on a pillar where there shouldn't be any flowers as well as part of the <laughs> wedding process it's a very odd setup they all have bigger fish to fry everything everything in these 80s episodes just screams what were we thinking in the 80s yeah. I, the dress the haircuts the cars wow to be fair, the hair just looks like my hair. So I, I kind of wish that I'd been young in the 80s. I just All I would have had to do is just brush my hair and that would have been it. Um, dry brush it and I would have been the permiest perm whoever permed. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, then 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 the death threats start. Oh, yeah, Paul, Paul, is he going to get back in time? Is he? Is he? Yes, he is. Um, who cares? He had 10 um, minutes to spare. What's the fuss? He had a whole 10 minutes. Exactly. Um, someone delivers a wreath that says "Till death do us part," um, and um, D- Daphne and Des decide to just chuck it in the bin and not tell Terry um, because why would they tell her about a death threat on her wedding day? They're like, "Oh, it's just a prank from her violent ex." 
oh, okay, is that it? That's all right then. <laughs> it was just her violent ex. Never mind. Um, then someone calls in a bomb threat. <laughs> that 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 escalated quickly. Yeah. Um, and Jim, I, I, I don't even have words for how irresponsible he is. Believing there may be an actual bomb underneath his house that will detonate in 10 minutes, takes his teenage son to the basement to look for it instead of clearing the area and calling the oh police. Oh my God, what was, what was going on with this? This, I was, I was, uh, I was just flabbergasted. It's an interesting choice, I'll be honest. I mean, people aren't very responsible with their teenagers in this environment. That's what we've learned this evening. Uh, this evening? Uh, from this conversation. <laughs> but, uh, yes, to take him down to listen for the ticking, I thought was a was a strange decision. Maybe he's trying to get rid of Scott. He's like, <laughs> Scott, Scott is the disposable kid. If Scott gets exploded... Uh, but. Well, but yeah, what, I couldn't what, remember at what point, I know now, but I couldn't remember at what point it transitions from Scott number one to Scott number two. And I guess if a bomb goes off in your face and you have to have a bit of plastic surgery. I was just surgery, thinking that, yes. It's, a quite, it's, it's quite a simple transition. What, what drove you mad about this, John? Oh, it's just so many things. I mean, the anticlimax was one, but on top of that, it was, it was someone calls in a bomb threat to your house and they're oddly specific about it. Okay. Maybe I give it a quick cursory look, but maybe yeah. also call the police. Jim is either the most laid back dude in the world about fiery death, or he, he has visions of the future and he's like, Oh, it's okay. Don't worry. I know this is going to turn out fine because he's just so, he's so laid back. He's lying down about this. I mean, he's a pretty laid back guy, except unless about road safety. <laughs> it was just like I, it was just so it was just so weird. He's okay, being cool in the face of danger, great. Maybe he was maybe he was in the bomb squad. You know, we sorry, you and I spoke about the fact that maybe not in neighbors, but in home and away, certainly they referenced the fact that Aussies went to Vietnam. Who knows? Maybe he was like a bomb disposal guy in the war and he's like, Yeah, whatever, I've seen this all before. But without that backstory, we don't know. He's it was just and there if he had that backstory, John, then he would definitely have said, you weren't there, man. You didn't know. Exactly. Yeah. I saw, some point I saw shit, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you weren't there. You don't know. That's what, yeah. that's compulsory. Absolutely. And, and he, and he was just, the, and the fact that their, their basement or whatever it is, is really kind of a bit messy. They find things pretty quick. I know, I know it's a soap, but they find things pretty quickly. And at no point are they worried about, about anything. It's just, it, Ah, and then, and then, I mean, I think we're going to get to what they eventually find, so I won't spoil that. But my lord, mm. they find a they they I, I'll spoil it. They find an alarm clock, um, which quite comedically goes off in uh, Scott's pocket in the middle of the wedding ceremony, um, which I thought was a funny touch. But in in today's neighbors, the alarm clock would have gone off in Scott's pocket, and then a separate bomb that they didn't find would have gone off at the same time. Like it would have been a a sort of a false like a, a red herring that yeah. like we thought they'd found it. Um, but no, that does not happen. Nothing happens because it's neighbors. Uh, Eileen is at the wedding. Why? I don't know. Um, she doesn't know any of them particularly. There's all, there's a lot, there are quite random wedding guests. Um, mm -hmm. There's also Daisy, who was Jim's nanny, who's there purely for comedic purposes, I think, to be somebody who can't hear very well. And that's her whole <laughs> function. Um, I, the person I'm amazed 
can hear at all is Helen because she's got some weird flick on her hair. Her hair is her hair's like half of Chandler's hair in when they do the flashbacks uh, when he was at university. <laughs> it's, flock of seagulls. But it's half a flock. What's I don't know what you call half a flock of seagulls. Is it a flock once it's already two seagulls? I don't know. But her <laughs> hair is like I mean the amount of spray that the problems with the ozone layer now are almost definitely caused by Helen's hairstyle at that wedding. If a bomb had gone off, she would have been the first to go up. Yeah, she's <laughs> ignited. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So so then they, they get married, I think, or something. I, I wasn't really paying attention. Um, Jim walks her down the aisle. It's not mentioned that Max isn't there. Um, then at the reception, Terry and Shane just start making out, I guess. Oh, that was um, weird as well. And- what the hell was that all about? <laughs> Yeah, Paul has to like separate them. It's very odd. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, then then Lucy says, "If what if Shane's the best man, why didn't Terry marry you?" Um, yeah. with Lucy cutting through the bullshit. Um, Scott and Danny trash the couple's car. Um, I mean, in a kind and, of um, just oh yeah, in the, in, way, not in a yeah, a in the acceptable way. way. Yeah, no, they, they, it was it wasn't an act of sabotage. They tied the cans and did the spray and all the stuff that people do. Um, a man and a woman show up looking for tapes at Terry's house. I think the people who were phoning about the tapes in the last episode. Charles and Barbara. Um, yes, and they trash the place. <laughs> they trash the place and put the wreath back in the living room from the bin, I guess. Mm. And Daphne, Daphne does that thing she always does when someone intrudes in her home and just comes in and starts pottering around and has absolutely no idea anyone's there. Daphne has no instincts. No. This has happened to her twice now. Three times, actually, where someone's been in her space and she just hasn't really been aware of no it. No peripheral vision um, either because they weren't, yeah. at least the, the woman wasn't making a lot of effort to really hide. No. <laughs> um, actually, I thought it was hilarious that uh, Charles and Barbara seemed really annoyed that the wreath had been thrown away. Like it had, it really. They'd spent a lot of money on that wreath to scare <laughs> the, to scare Terry, and it'd been put in the bin. They were not happy about it, and they went on about it for a little while. That's so funny. It was a really sad, flat-looking wreath as well. Um, but um, anyway, back at the reception, Shane bets Des that he can have Daphne back anytime he wants, and that she'll go to dinner with him tonight. And Des is—he bets twenty bucks, and Des is basically like, "You disgust me." Mm. <laughs> he says Daphne deserves better. I my Des goes up in my estimation in this episode because. Like he doesn't, and I was like, "Oh no, Des is gonna take the bet. He's gonna, he's gonna be a bloke about this." And he's not. He's like, "How dare you?" Which is great. Um, little Lucy overhears and wastes no time in telling Daphne, who is then armed with the knowledge to knock Shane back. Mm. Um, this brings us to the grim scene between Maria and Danny. Before um, all I have happens, in my notes, there's something oh, else that I think oh, what's that? lots of people will have missed. Is there's a you'll have to go back and look at the clip, but there's a little boy. I think it is. None of us know who this is. A character none of us have seen before, and the camera is on him stealing a crab at the reception. There's <laughs> he's right front. He's front um, right hand side as we're staring. So I guess stage left, but you know our right. Um, and he's playing around with a crab on the table while stuff is happening in the background. And then he nicks the whole crab by one <laughs> leg and carries it away triumphantly. And that <laughs> did not see that. 
I that for me that was the highlight of the episode. I just want to be clear <laughs> that the kids stealing the crap, the amazing <laughs> casting of Gwen, who sounds and looks exactly like her sister, um, yeah. and um, uh, the annoyance at the wreath, and then the antennae hair. I think they make all together one amazingly weird um, bit of filming. Incredible. And again, it should be Chekhov's um, crab, shouldn't it? But of mm-hmm. course, nothing happens. Um, this brings us to the very, very, very grim scene between Maria and Danny, yes. which I, in my notes, I just have no. I have inappropriate, inappropriate. I, I don't even know. I, I, I can't even get to the content of what they were saying because I, they were just like, they were just clasping each other like lovers. They were kissing on the lips. Mm. They, they were, they, there was a lot of foreheads touching. Um, it was, it was like a breakup scene. Please she stay, said I'll like change, a, I'll change. Oh my god, yeah, I blocked that out. Oh, uh, and oh, we, you know, we have to, we have to let each other go. We love each other too much. Yeah, you're damn right, you do. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, the thing that brings us together is the thing that's tearing us apart. It was oof. It was, I mean, oof. Uh, are there words uh, what are your words no no just noises Ugh, uh, i don't i don't ever want to think about it again um she'll be gone soon um John, what, do you have uh, any words on this grimness ick one word ick. <laughs> it's oh. Anyway, Desert Daphne find the wrecked house and instead of phoning the police, they phone Jim. Why do people keep getting Jim instead of phoning the police? Every time there's an emergency, people are like, ah, let's go get Jim. What do we not know about Jim? You weren't there, man. Um, <laughs> they still don't tell Terry anything, despite these threats escalating to bomb scares and house trashings. Anyway, we come to the end of the episode. Daphne flirts with Paul's friend Mark and Shane... Mr. Let's see other people. We we shouldn't be tied down. Says she's just doing it to make him jealous, and then tells him that Daphne's mine. Um, and uh, punches tries to punch Mark in the face. Mm. Um, and uh, this this is the guy who said Daphne was just a bit of fun. Um, and Mark uh Mark is faster than him, punches Shane out, and Shane lands face first in the cake, and it is wonderful. Mm. That was great. I I absolutely it's... loved that. Mm. Yes, instant karma. Um. Anyway, um, meanwhile, Maria skulks off in a taxi without saying goodbye to her family. Oh, come on. Let's be fair. She turns her head round to look out of the mirror. uh, A window, not the mirror, because you've got to look out of the mirror. She looks out. If you're looking out of a mirror, that's quite scary. Uh, No, she's looking (laughs) through the back window of the car. And Max and Danny happen to see her coincidentally leaving. And Max says, let her be, son. We love her. Let her go. Which I thought was really quite nice. It was, but Maria is a coward, and what a scarring! Like it was nice on Max's part that he managed the situation so well, but she should have said goodbye to her family. That she just ran off. It was a proper she's leaving home moment. She just she you know she could not get out of there fast enough. I'm sure she just told them. Say goodbye to Shane. I'm sure she just told them. Well, it will be too difficult for all of us. If we say goodbye to each other in the same way, you know, mm. that's what I mean. Everything she does, she blames on all of them. 
um, like yep. or the dynamic of their relationship. Uh, she's saving them for the anxiety and the distress um, of saying goodbye to her. She's doing. She's helping them. That's how I should have seen it. Yep. Uh, so just giving these people lifelong abandonment issues. And she has, however, left post-it notes with instructions on how to human for the boys. So that, you know, swings and roundabouts, I, I guess. Um, and that brings us to the end of the fortnight. Uh, do we do we have any other observations that I that I've missed out? <laughs> Sorry, I know you and I were kind of talking about this and it's a, a possibly unpopular opinion. I think this these sets of episodes almost you almost are seeing almost like a redemption arc for Max. Almost. Mm -hmm, he becomes yeah. a bit less of a terrible human being and a bit more of a, I have in my notes that um from the beginning, he's not to excuse the way he's acted, but he's very much a product, I think of his generation and kind of the, the, the Aussie bloke kind of mentality, mm. you know? Um, mm. And I think we're, I think he's coming to terms with who he is to a certain mm. extent now. And these, and he's certainly being written in a more, a slightly more sympathetic way because he's he's starting to think about other people he's starting to he 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 gets to he comes to the right conclusions a bit more quickly i think now and yeah, yeah. i don't know i don't know where it's going to go maybe maybe he's going to run someone over and then run away next week who knows but um yeah i just that was he's we all hated him and i think this week i kind of don't i don't hate him i don't quite feel sorry for him necessarily but i despite all of the camera angles that suggest that I should. Um, but um, I, I just, yeah, he's he's painted in a more human-like, he's less of kind of a caricature kind of asshole and more he's a human being who may or yeah, may not have yeah. feelings. Yeah, I agree with you. I did wonder if there one of the post-it notes said, uh, make sure you kiss the boys goodnight on the mouth with tongues. <laughs> um, <laughs> That was that was my concern. I agree with you. I think they've tried to um, bring us another side to Max's character. Um, for me, the big uh, ending dot 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 um, in a kind of as I said, oh, this is almost like a bookend of this uh, conversation because we we're talking about like the comparison to the TV show Casualty where they set stuff up. And at the end of this uh, episode, I think it's Daphne who says. Um, when they're uh, short of gym and they're all discussing the fact they've resolved the bomb scare and the wreath situation and whatever um, that they've it's kind of everything's fine now because now they're married and I think it's Daphne who says well at least nothing will happen to them while they're away that mm. that's like the most ellipsis following um, sentence ever isn't it nothing will happen so I was fully expecting I'm not going to say what happens next because that's obviously for next chat but it sounds like something is going to happen to them while they're away, at the very least, doesn't it? It sounds like it is setting up a big drama for the honeymoon, some kind of confrontation, um, maybe involving weapons, maybe involving hairspray, but something's going to happen. It sounds like it, doesn't it? But then this is Neighbours in 1985, so they probably just have a nice trip to the zoo or something. Um, I, I don't know. I, I haven't seen a head. Um, but, uh, yeah, I... I, I if something happens, I will be pleasantly surprised that anything has happened. Um, I just want to say, Ria Maria, as well, that I just remembered that she told Danny that she's not going to be there for the moment he becomes a man. Oh, yeah, that was the worst. And, yeah, you're not meant to be that for, there for that moment, Maria. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. That's a, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, so just before we wrap up, um, who uh, this fortnight do we want to leave Erinsborough? Who are we kicking out? 
Um, I think that the person we should kick out is probably... Well, they sort of kick themselves out. I mean, I feel like Gwen is pointless. Daisy, the ex-nanny, is pointless. Um, they could go. I think... Um, I think... Uh, what's his name? Uh, Eileen's uh, love interest was a bit meh like yeah um in this episode so for me he can go the person i'd like to keep as a permanent character but to my tragic disappointment isn't is the boy who nicks the crab because that is <laughs> amazing john can i have two people to kick out sure why not uh, uh shane and danny i just oh, don't i just don't i just don't like them well, it's um, it, it's 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 Shane who has the has the hearts for um for Terry, right? And then oh, not Terry. Yeah. Yeah, Terry. Um. Yeah. Yeah, he's just ah, uh, he's just all kinds of weird. And um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of his, generally speaking. And and Danny, I mean, Danny. Yeah. yeah uh, like I said, big old manosphere vibes there. He's he needs some therapy asap, or he's gonna be all kinds of screwed up, and. Mm. I just, yeah, he gives me the egg. If we were um, going to kick what, out a yeah. big character, then I think we could live without either Shane or Danny. I, I don't disagree with you. Um, yeah. They don't really, I mean, Shane doesn't bring anything interesting to the table. He's there as a sort of, well, they're both there as sort of Puck in, in Midsummer Night's Dream character to create havoc, um, but it doesn't enhance the story. No. Well, I'm going to kick out Maria because that's an easy win. She's already gone. <laughs> um, so um, stop stop hit, hitting on your children, Maria. It's weird. Yeah. Stop it. There's there, No hitting yeah. children is good, and that includes physically or in a romantic way. Yeah. Don't, don't be romantic with your teenage sons. Oh, we got there. Oh, thank you so much, both of you. Um, this has been a very, very exciting first outing for our for our brand new co-hosting arrangement, and uh, I'm really excited. Long may it continue. And John, thank you so much for coming all this way. I know it was it was it was a, it was a hell of a commute. I don't know how, the traffic's going to be mad on the way back. Uh. Today's episode was hosted by Sarah Gibbs and Rachel Krieger. Our guest today was John Gibbs. This episode was edited by John Gibbs. Our logo is by Hayley Charlesworth. Our theme song was mixed by Graham Rawson. Join us next time when we'll be covering episodes 131 to 140.